Welcome to The Carlina Show, where ordinary people share their hero's journey. I'm your host, Carlina Angwin, and this is episode 24 of the podcast. Today on the show, we have Steve Kaplan. Steve is a comedy consultant for companies such as HBO, Disney, DreamWorks, and Sony. He teaches his comedy-intensive workshops around the world and is the author of The Hidden Tools of Comedy and The Comic Hero's Journey, two books we will be discussing today. You can visit the Carlina Show website at carlina.net. That's C-A-R-L-E-E-N-A dot net. To learn more about Steve and link to the show notes. From there, you can find past episodes, connect on social media, and sign up for the mailing list. Thank you, Stephen Lorca, for video editing and production so we can post our episodes on the Carlina Show YouTube channel as well as the podcast. Now I bring you Steve Kaplan. If you could tell me just who you wrote The Comic Hero's Journey for and what was your inspiration for writing that? I wrote it for uh, people who are writing feature films, feature film comedies. Mm -hmm. And what inspired me was I've been teaching these workshops all around the country and all around the world. And uh, it was originally based on my first book, which is The Hidden Tools of Comedy, Mm -hmm. which are uh, discrete practical tools uh, that that help you write uh, a stand-up routine, a television script, a film script. And people would ask me, so how do you use these rules if I'm writing a feature film? And that got me thinking and I have a friend who uh, wrote uh, The Writer's Journey, uh, Chris Vogler, and so I just I told Chris, Chris, I'm going to rip you off <laughs> because you already ripped off Joseph Campbell, uh, who wrote um, the you know the Hero's Journey, and mm-hmm. I'm going to write uh, the Hero's Journey from the point of view of comedy. Yeah. So that that's that's how it started. Okay. Well, I have to tell you, I actually bought the Hidden Tools of Comedy about two years ago because I went to, um, I got my MFA in nonfiction and I just, I wanted to learn how, you know, how to write, how to use your own uh, experiences and turn them into, you know, stories that are funny. But, you know, I heard people reading different essays that they wrote and I could tell that they were trying to be funny but it just wasn't <laughs> succeeding and I okay. felt like and I felt like I was doing that too so um so I did a lot of research and for different books and I found yours and I read it and I'm, I have it in my you can't see but I have it in my hand right now and it's just full of highlights and underlines and and stars and um and so I really got a lot out of that, and and so I signed up for your your mailing list, and um, and when I saw that you had the comic hero's journey come out, I thought, well, that's great because it, it ties into my theme, which is the the hero's journey. So um, so I've been a, a fan of yours for a few for a couple of years now. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, and you know I'm not a film writer, but I do I like enjoy writing, so. You may not have intended me to be someone in your in your target audience, but but here I am. <laughs> well, you know whether you're writing fiction or nonfiction, every everything you write is a story, mm-hmm. and and ultimately every story is autobiographical. So mm-hmm. um, so even if you're uh, a journalist, there's part of your own story that that seeps into um, what what is supposedly a completely impartial, but nothing's really ever completely impartial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, so the comic hero's journey. Um, so tell me what well, we, we discussed in our emails, a couple different ideas of movies that we could look at um, so that you could paint a picture of what is the comic hero's journey, what is the structure. And so... Um, now I had mentioned the big sick. The big sick. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but in your book, you had mentioned one of the ones that the movies that you used was Groundhog's Day. 
Brian, um, Groundhog Day, um, Forty Year Old Virgin, Bridesmaids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, the the Big Sick uh, follows some of it, but it's 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 really more of a boy meets girl, uh, boy loses girl, mm-hmm. girl girl falls into coma, boy meets girl's parents, um, uh, and uh, and a love story ensues between the parents and the boy. Right. And then when the girl wakes up, he he uses that to get her back. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. So, um, so how about we go through, um, the comic hero's journey with Groundhog's Day? So if you could, yeah. And then, um, and then I want to get your feedback as far as how do you use like personal, like real life events that could be tragic or sad, like, like the big sick, um, but how, how you could use that to incorporate that into a comic hero's journey. So, Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and what kind of writing are you working on? Um, memoir? Well, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a kind of a hybrid. It's part memoir and part third person reported and it's intertwined. But, um, but I learned a lot from your book because, um, <clears throat> it, well, I mean, I don't want to go into detail about what it is. I don't want okay. to talk about me, but I want to talk, but, but some of the things that happened in my childhood um, looking back now, they're funny, but at the time I wasn't trying to be funny. I was trying to succeed. I was trying to get, you know, I had a goal and a mission, but I had very limited skills and tools to get there. And so looking back, it's funny. And so if I, so I learned from you and that the hidden tools of comedy, that if I could, you know, incorporate that in such a way that there's humor, but without trying to be humorous, you know? Right. So without trying to be quote unquote funny. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Great. So why don't you go ahead and tell us about the Groundhog's Day and how that fits the structure of the comic hero's journey. Okay. Um, but I'm I'm actually much more interested in your in your memoir. But uh, we'll 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 get back to that. Um, <laughs> okay. Maybe. Uh, the, <laughs> uh, the 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 comic hero's journey is is a. Uh, is a look at the hero's journey. And we all know what the hero's journey is, right? If you've seen Star Wars, you've seen the hero's journey. You have somebody who uh, doesn't know it, but they have a greatness within, like Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, a call to adventure. Um, you know, they, you know the, the droids come and say, you've got to get this information to, to the rebellion. Um, there's the refusal of the call, because at first... Uh, the hero says, ah, not me. And uh, then you meet the mentor, you cross the threshold, he goes into Mos Eisley, he meets allies and enemies, he meets up with Chewbacca and Han Solo, he mm-hmm. uh, runs across Darth Vader, um, there's a uh, an ordeal, there's a resurrection, uh, and eventually the hero uh, gains the magic elixir, uh, whatever that may be, mm-hmm. uh, and he returns um, with the magic elixir, and the magic elixir is going to uh, heal the community. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the whole idea. The whole idea is that the hero um, does heroic things. Uh, his community is hurting, and so he goes out into the unknown. He braves uh, dragons and death stars, and he comes back with with a great boon. Um, mm-hmm. In in Star Wars' case, it's like he's you know, he's one of the last Jedis and he's gotten the force. The force is strong within this one. And the force uh, helps him destroy the Death Star and therefore the rebellion is uh, lives to fight another day. Or at least it lives to fight for eight more films um, and counting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so so the, the comic hero's journey takes a look at that same structure and, and it notices that in comedies, things are different. So, for instance, um, in, in the hero's journey, the, the hero has greatness within, only they don't know it yet. But in the comic hero's journey, your protagonist, your character does not have greatness within. Your character is as far from greatness within as is humanly possible. Your character is a jerk or a dweeb or a nerd or, or some kind of broken person, some kind of character with, with their, that's missing something, with, with a hole in them. And if you, if you take a look at Groundhog Day, for instance, 
Um, you know, uh, Bill Murray plays Phil Connors, who's a weatherman. And uh, the weather, you know, he's he's clever, he's funny, he's sexy, uh, you know, uh, of a sort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but but he's also a jerk. He's a cynical, uh, selfish jerk. Mm-hmm. Now, the difference in the comic hero's journey is, whereas the hero in Star Wars is aware that they're missing something. Luke Skywalker says, if only I could join the rebellion. I want to be a pilot. He's aware that something is missing. And so he's, even though he refuses the call at first, he's very open to the adventure because he's looking for something. But in the comic hero's journey, your character is not looking for something. Your character is happy the way they are. Mm-hmm. They, you know, whether it's Steve Carell and 40 year old virgin who's, you know, he's, he's made uh, his adjustments. He's not going to go for girls anymore. He's just happy, uh, you know, playing uh, Halo at home and, and playing, uh, learning to the tuba and all the weird things he does to make up for the fact that he's got no relationships. Mm-hmm. But he's not looking for a relationship. As he says, um, he respects women. He respects women so much he doesn't have anything to do with them. <laughs> in, in, in Phil Connor's case... He's a jerk, but he's happy that way. He doesn't say to himself, oh, I'm a jerk. I need to change. No, he doesn't want to change. Um, Characters in comedies don't want to change. They want to stay the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Kristen Wiig in in Bridesmaids has lost her job, lost her cupcake, uh, her bakery shop. Uh, She's in this horrible, horrible relationship with John Hamm, who just comes over for booty calls and doesn't even let her sleep the night. But that's all she knows, and that's all she really wants. She's accepted that. And what happens in the comic hero's journey is that we see them in the normal world. We see them in their normal world. They think everything's working out for them, but we in the audience can see that they are far from, it's far from working out for them. And then you have the next stage, which we call WTF. Or what the bleep? <laughs> yeah. And and in dub and in that stage, something happens, either fantastical and impossible, or or possible but improbable. Something happens to push our protagonists out of their comfort zone. In Groundhog Day, he finds that he's living the same day over and over again. Could that ever happen? No. But if it did happen. How does this guy deal with it? In uh, in um, Bridesmaids, all that happens is that her best friend, you know, the only thing that she's really clinging on to because everything else in her life isn't working, mm-hmm. but her best friend finds another better best friend and starts to threaten uh, uh, the whole underpinnings of her life. In 40-Year-Old Virgin, his secret is discovered by his other three workmates at smart tech Mm -hmm. and that and that starts to uh, again uh, destroy the the fragile life that they've built for themselves so the next stage after wtf Mm -hmm. is reaction and the first part of reaction is denial In, in all the movies that i've cited they desperately try to get back to where they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Murray, uh, Phil Connors tries to figure out a way. He goes to a psychiatrist. He goes to a neurologist. Uh, he talk, He goes drinking at a bar. He's trying to figure out how can how can I stop this? Mm-hmm. Uh, in Forty Year Old Virgin, Steve Carell, you know, is sleepless that night uh, after they found out his secret at a poker game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he walks in the next day hoping hoping that everybody has forgotten it. Nobody notices it. Of course, they, they start saying, hey, here's the virgin. And of course, it, it, it's ruined. Uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, so what happens is, is that your first reaction is to hope it doesn't, it's not true, mm-hmm. and to try to return to the normal world that they're, that they're aware of. But in uh, the comic hero's journey, you can't return to the normal world. So part of reaction is uh, the sense that now these heroes, uh, these comic heroes, these less than perfect people, these much less than perfect people have to then adjust. They don't want to adjust. 
they haven't they haven't looked forward to adjusting. There's no amount of transformation that they have they have wanted. Mm -hmm. But now, despite themselves, they're going to have to make some transformations. So so you have uh, start to have uh, in in reaction. You start to see your protagonist take small steps to try to deal with this new situation, and the small steps are usually. Um, uh, you know, selfish and short-sighted. They're not. They're not looking. Since they're not looking to transform themselves, Phil Connors is not looking to become a better person. He simply tries to figure out: okay, if I'm going to live the next, uh, live the same day over and over again, what are the rules? And the rules are he can once. So uh, and there's no consequence. So he wakes up. Uh, he kisses the landlady full on the lips because there's no consequences. Uh, the annoying insurance salesman says Phil Connors, and he says Ned, and he punches him out uh, because there's no consequences. Mm -hmm. And what he figures out is that if he simply goes to a pretty girl and asks her her name, where she went to high school, and uh, who was her 12th grade English teacher, he can come back to her the next day. She won't remember anything, any, any of it, mm -hmm. and he'll say, Carlina, as though he knew her, and he said, "You went to Stuyvesant High School. You had, you know, Jenkins." As, and of course, he goes to sleep with all the girls. And so you see that the that the characters are making adjustments, but there's no growth, mm -hmm. what, which, which we call connections. Hero has either been oblivious to his own faults or scrambling to deal with the new situation. And in connections, they start to slow down. And for the first time, you start to really connect on a human level with the other characters. So this is the point in, in Groundhog Day when Phil Connors just tell, talks to Andy McDowell and says, and says I, I, I'm living the same day over and over again. Now, he did that in the very first scene, in the first couple of scenes in the movie, but she didn't believe it. But now, now that he's lived through this over and over again, and he's found out how shallow this existence is if he's just living selfishly, he wants her to share this with him because he's, even though he doesn't know it, but we in the audience knows it, he's falling in love with her. So he says, I, I know everything. Uh, how would I know all this stuff if I, was, if, I, if I wasn't living the same day over and over again? And he goes uh, around the diner and he tells everybody's story. And this woman came from Ireland and this guy left the Navy, but he wished he didn't. And, and then he describes her and he says, you like the, you know, you like the ocean, but not the water. And, and, uh, and he he really knows her, and what's apparent to us in the audience, even though it's not apparent to him, is that this selfish, cynical jerk is becoming observant, aware, sensitive. And so in connections, their characters slow down, and they begin to realize the transformations that are happening, not, not, even, not only around them, but also within them. And the next stage is new directions because uh, the, another difference between uh, star Wars say, and, and, and a, uh, and a comic uh, film, a comic hero's journey is that in star Wars, your main character usually has one overriding goal. The, the goal is uh, in star Wars. I'm, I'm going to uh, join the rebellion. And, and become a pilot. Uh, and what happens? At the, uh, by the end of the film, he's joined the rebellion and he's become a pilot. Uh, in most uh, dramatic stories, in most uh, heroes' journeys, your character is trying to get the bad guy or save the world, and that's their, that's their goal. But in comedy, because our characters start off as broken people, as less than perfect people, much less than perfect, uh, they they start off their stories with self self uh, um, selfish short sighted goals, and 
what we have in the comic hero's journey is we have what, what's called the discovered goal. That because they're transforming, even though they're not aware that they're transforming, their goals are transforming. So at the beginning of Groundhog Day, all Phil Connors wants is to get a better job at a bigger television network. But what happens as he progresses through this endless day is that he realizes what he really wants is Rita. And if he can just get Rita to believe in him, everything will be okay. So he spends the day with her. He, uh, he reads poetry to her uh, and he wakes up the next day. And even though she won't remember him and she won't remember the day, he remembers it. So he wakes up and he's got a, a, a new jump in his step and he's got a new positive outlook on life. Uh, and uh, he uh, learns how to play the piano. Now, in, in many uh, comic heroes journeys, what would follow uh, is what we call uh, 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 detachment, um, uh, where or uh, where where the uh, there's a breakup. The usually in a romantic comedy, uh, the lovers break up, or in a uh, buddy film, the friendship breaks up, uh, and uh, and what's what's Important to note is that this is not a formula. By that I mean all these elements occur in a story. They just—they don't necessarily have to occur in the same order, or 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 in an order that any other story has told. So in Groundhog Day, he goes through a period of depression where he kills himself, and because he he lit, wakes up the same day over and over again. He, he can't even kill himself successfully. He kills himself over and over and over again, but he's very, very depressed and the, and the movie turns very dark. But that happens before, really before connections. Um, whereas in many uh, typical romantic comedies like 40-Year-Old Virgin, uh, you have a, a big fight scene between Catherine Keener and Steve Carell. Uh, and that's your... Um, depression sequence uh and uh and which is followed by uh the last part of the comic hero's journey which is race to the race to the finish now in, in most uh films most comedies we we are aware of this uh this aspect of the story and we've seen it a lot of times we've seen um dustin hoffman racing from uh from San Francisco to Pasadena to stop uh, Elaine from marrying the wrong guy. We've seen Billy Crystal run through the streets of New York to get to the New Year's Eve party just in time to tell Meg Ryan that he loves her. So there's use, there's, there, there is a, a lot of examples of literal races to the finish. But even in a, a, a quiet film like, uh, like Enough Said, which is uh, a movie with Julie Louis-Dreyfus and James Gandolfini, which is a, kind of a, 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 a quiet film um, written and directed by Nicole Hall of Center, um, who just uh, lost out for the best uh, adapted screenplay. Um, and she was robbed. I got to tell you, she was robbed for uh, you. Can you ever forgive me? Um, uh, the action that uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus does at, the end of this romantic comedy is uh, James Gand you know, she's she's lied to James Gandolfini she's she's kept something secret that she shouldn't have and he's broken up with her and, and it's broken her heart and all she does is she drives by his house and parks and one day he comes out and he sees her and she kind of nods at him and he kind of nods at her and he kind of motions for her to come out of the car to sit on the stoop with him. And it's a very small thing, but it's an action. So what it means is that your character has to take action. Your character has to take action at, at this moment in, in, in the story, at this, at this 
juncture in the journey. In, in Groundhog Day, what does he do? He's discovered that no matter what he does, for good or for ill, he wakes up the next day and it's, he's got to start all over again. And now he's, in the first part of the film, he lived very selfishly. He robbed a, uh, a, 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 a Wells Fargo truck, um, uh, armored car. Uh, he goes to sleep with all the girls in town. He, you know, everybody but Rita. Uh, but it's uh, a shallow, meaningless existence. So what he does at the near the end of Groundhog Day is he gets up and he decides, I'm going to spend my day being of service to others. And that's what he does. He gives the best news report he, can, he has in him about the groundhog uh, not seeing its shadow or seeing its shadow. He then catches a kid who falls from a tree. He, uh, he goes around. Uh, he fixes uh, the tires of an old lady's car. He gives some guy a Heimlich maneuver. He does whatever he can to make everybody's day better. And the important thing, especially in a comedy, is even though he's transforming, he's becoming a better person. The important thing to remember is he's still not perfect. He's still human like you and me. One, the, my favorite moment in this sequence is uh, after he uh, delivers the eulogy to the groundhog and uh, Rita says, uh, that's great. Uh, that was surprising. He says, yeah, sometimes I even surprise myself. She says, well, do you want to get some coffee? He says, I'd, I'd love to. Can I have a rain check? I have some errands to run. And she says, errands? What errands? We just got here. And that the next thing you see is he's running because he realizes he's late. He's running to catch the kid who's about to fall out of the tree. The kid falls out of the tree at the same time, at the same place every day. He catches the kid. And what would a perfect person say? A perfect person would say, you know, listen, young man, be careful. I hope you're okay. Uh, you know, give your best to your mom and dad. That's what a perfect person would say. But what does a human being say? What does Phil Connors say? He says, what do you say? What do you say? You have never thanked me. You have never thanked me. I'll, I'll see you tomorrow, maybe. Because he's, he's selfish enough and he's human enough to want to be thankful good that he's doing so that's that's race to the future uh, race race to the finish and at the end of the comic hero's journey uh no matter how you tell your story there's got to be the promise of a better world uh in some way there's the promise that even though they've gone through this uh, amazing or or unbelievable experience that a better world is, is in the offing for them so we can we can uh, kind of analyze a, a lot of comedy films that way, uh, but but they all have that that central um, uh, the the central truth that that your your protagonist is is not perfect, and somehow the experience this incredible uh, almost unbelievable experience transforms them, um, even in the big six. Uh, which is not a, um, you know, kind of a, uh, a classic comic structure uh, in that way. You know, it's uh, what's the classic rom-com, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl. In the big sick, it's boy meets girl, boy loses girl, girl falls into coma, boy meets parents, parents fall in love with the boy. And somehow, all together, uh, when the girl finally wakes up, uh, the boy gets the girl because the boy has become a better person. The boy stops hiding who he is from from his family and himself and from the girl. And they uh, and there's the even though it, the uh, the big sick doesn't end with them in a big relationship, it ends with them with the promise of a better world. She comes to see him uh, at a stand up routine, and there's the promise that things will be better. Things will. So, so that's, that's kind of uh, a a very quick look at the um, 
at the comic hero's journey, you know, if you're looking at it through uh, the context of, of Groundhog's Day or, or The Big Sick or 40-Year-Old Virgin. You offer comedy workshops all over yes. the world. And how often do you have people who come to you who want to write about either for film or for a book or for stand-up um, information or stories from, from their own lives, so personal stories? Uh, a, a lot of people. I think I, think I, I mentioned that that all writing is autobiographical, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, some people are, are use uh, their lives as the basis of stories, or some people use parts of their lives to enhance other stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, talking about Groundhog Day, there's, there's a moment in Groundhog Day uh, near in, in the uh, section of Connections mm-hmm. when he finally convinces... Uh, Rita that it's really happening to him mm-hmm. and um, uh, it, she sees that it's midnight and she says you know has it happened and he says no uh, it doesn't happen at midnight you know and uh, and I didn't say it was going to happen at midnight and she, she said you faker and he said do you want does this mean you're going to leave and she says no and we cut and it's hours later but not six o'clock because it always happens at 6 a.m. in the morning. Mm-hmm. It's hours later. It's like three or four. And she's asleep and he's reading a poem to her. And um, and he starts to put her to bed, you know, just kind of put the covers over her. And he starts to to tell her everything that's in his heart that he couldn't say to her face because he's it's too intimate. It's, it's too real. Mm-hmm. And that scene comes out of a conversation that Harold Ramis had with Bill Murray, because that's what Bill, that's what happened to Bill Murray. Bill Murray told Harold Ramis about, uh, about his marriage. Mm-hmm. And, and when they got to where they were going for the honeymoon, his wife was exhausted and she fell asleep. And while she was sleeping, Bill Murray, because he's this, you know, kind of you know, hard bitten, uh, uh, not no heart on his sleeve. You know, Chicago guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Murray told her everything that was in his heart that he would feel uncomfortable, kind of just telling her to her face. Mm-hmm. And Harold Ramis heard this lovely story and put it right in the film. Um, it be, it it becomes right. It goes right in the film. Mm-hmm. And there's a. Uh, there's a, a Groundhog Day dance in the, at the end of the film. There wasn't a, originally a Groundhog Day dance uh, in the in the first script, but when they when uh, Danny Rubin and uh, Bill Murray went to uh, Punxsutawney to kind of scout things out, they real they found out hey a- at the end of every Groundhog Day there's a Groundhog Day dance. So they put that in the film, mm-hmm. and they saw a poster for a bachelor auction and they put that in the film Mm -hmm. so so the 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 fact is is that everything that's happening to you becomes the the basis of the material that you use for your fiction or Mm nonfiction. and if you're writing a memoir uh you're using parts of your own story Mm to uh, to, to write your memoir, but not the whole story, mm-hmm. because uh, what, you're, what you're really doing is you're shaping your story to make, to, to elucidate a theme, mm-hmm. um, whatever the theme is, whatever the, the, the overarching idea is that you're trying to get out. Um, and in a comedy, uh, what's important in using your own story is that you have is that there's a thin line between comedy and complaint. Mm-hmm. So if you're writing a story about something that happened in your own life, um, let's say it's um, uh, it's it's a person who's writing about their dating experience, say, mm-hmm. and if you use that time to complain about the people who were bad dates, that's complaint. Mm-hmm. Because let them write their own memoirs. Let them do their own one-person shows. 
the point of view of comedy is that you're telling the truth about a human being and the human being that is the is the closest to you that you can tell the truth about is yourself. Mm-hmm. There, there's a great film called uh, 500 Days of Summer uh, and uh, written by these, these two guys. And, and one of the guys started writing it uh, because he had been dumped by this girl and she broke his heart and he was angry at her. And so he wrote the first couple of drafts as a revenge hit piece. He was going to get back at her for all the rotten, terrible things she did to him. And at a certain point, his part, his writing partner said, the hell with her. I don't care about her. You know, let her write her own movie. Mm-hmm. How did it affect you? What did you learn from it? And that's when the whole movie turned around and evolved into a, a kind of a fairy tale about a, a guy who met Miss Wright, mm-hmm. but he wasn't Mr. Wright. And what do you do then? And it was about his transformation and him growing up and him learning lessons, mm-hmm. not a, not pointing the finger at her. What a you know what a as 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 he as he describes her in the opening credits. Uh, what a bitch! Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it really became about uh, how the character played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt how he evolved and how he grew up and what he did with that, with that experience and how it benefited him. Right. Um, so, so you, you take what's really happening to you and you have to find, if you're finding fault, you have to find the faults in yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, right. the fault lies not in our own stars, but in ourselves that we are underlings. Um, uh, they say in Julius Caesar. And, and it's true because you you can't blame other people. Mm-hmm. You you gotta you gotta find the truth in yourself. One of the great things about Forty Year Old Virgin is it's so clear that it could have been a terrible movie, uh, starring oh I don't know I don't want to you know <laughs> that's okay <laughs> um, uh, you know uh, who's the guy who did uh, um, you know American Gigolo um, you know Rob Schneider. Uh, you know, he's probably, Rob is probably a great guy. I don't know him personally, but, uh, but the movies that he makes, you know, are, are, uh, are japes. They're, they're, they're farces. Mm-hmm. They're broad farces. And what's brilliant about what Steve Carell and Judd Apatow did was rather than making it, uh, a joke about him or making it, uh, you know, a joke about the three guys who are helping him. Mm-hmm. They really just became four people, four people who are struggling, you know, who are silly in their own ways and stupid mm-hmm. in their own ways, but just struggling to do the one thing that we all want to do, which is figure out how you can be in a relationship with somebody and make it work. That's yeah. the hardest thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for the people who come to your workshops who are either writing film or books or stand up or, or whatever it is, and they want to draw from personal experiences, not just draw from personal experiences, but to create a, um, a, a piece that's, that's, that's based on, um, their experience. How would you, how would you instruct them or advise them to look at like the parameters of even how to, to think about like a certain time period and to think of like, um, the transformation and the, and the structure. Um, so let's say someone is just getting started. They, they're thinking, you know, I have this time period in my life where I want to write about it and, you know, parts of it are funny, maybe parts of it are sad, but I want to, you know, I want to bring out the the humor in, the, in that situation. What 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 su- what would you offer that person? What would you what suggestions would you give them to even start thinking about how they can create a story that's you know that's based on their life that's a comedy. You, if you think if you think of a story like um, uh, the the classic Arist- Aristophanic. Uh, 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 structure of uh, the three act uh, structure, which is in a comedy, a guy gets himself stuck up a tree. They throw rocks at him. That's act two. And the guy figures his way down out of the tree. Mm-hmm. So 
you want to start with, well, when the when you got down out of the tree, where were you and who were you? So you start there, you kind of start there and then you work your way backwards. Mm-hmm. So who was I to begin with? What lessons did I learn when I got out of the tree? Mm-hmm. What didn't I know when I got up the tree? And how can I show that progression, that transformation, that arc? Um, and and it's it's difficult, listen, because people people's past is full of pain and you think that the that the i that the idea is that what i do is i i write about who hurt me and what i got out of that mm-hmm. um that's a drama in a comedy you have to take the responsibility yourself. You have to write about who was I and what happened to me and what did I, what did I eventually become because of it? Mm -hmm. Now there are certain things that would be very, very hard to make comic, uh, but not impossible. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, uh, being, uh, being sexually abused as, as a young person. Um, there, you know, uh, have there been a lot of funny sexual abuse, uh, uh, you know, stories or, or one person plays, um, not a lot, but there have been some, um, mm-hmm. Nanette, uh, by, uh, oh, what's the name of that? Uh, she's a Scottish, um, no, I mean, no, she's an Australian comic, uh, Hannah. I can't remember Hannah Gatsby. I think it is. Mm-hmm. It's actually uh, about it's a, a one. It's a one person show, and it's really about when she was attacked, mm-hmm. uh, and she figures out a way both to make it comic, not the attack itself, but to also talk about how she's not going to make fun of it anymore. Mm-hmm. She's not going to downplay it anymore. So it can you can have important even dark themes but you can still treat it in a comic way mm-hmm. I, I i i've worked with a couple of people who have um have had trouble with that because they couldn't let go uh this this one person uh her her marriage went bad um uh she uh her relationship went bad she she got disinherited and she couldn't figure out how she wasn't the victim mm-hmm. in that. And uh, I tried to tell her that, yes, those bad things happen to you, but you're the dope that it happened to. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's what you write about. You write about the dope that it happened to. Um, Mike, can you pronounce his last name? I can never get his last name right. Brown. Brigubla, something you know, the guy who wrote Sleepwalking? Oh, yeah. I can't pronounce it. <laughs> okay. Ne- neither of us can pronounce your last name, Mike, but I'm sure I'm sure people know what we're talking oh, about. Oh, Burbiglia? Mike Burbiglia? Burbiglia right. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's, that's a brilliant piece yes. about how he almost killed himself. Yes. And the reason it's funny is because he's not blaming anybody about it. He's just kind of – he's just kind of uh, – uh, 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 agog with the amazement that it happened to him and he's still living to talk about it. Yes. So I, I think, I think when, when people come to me, they have to, and they want to use their experiences as a way to jump into comedy. They have to see the ridiculousness of themselves in the situation. Right. If they can't, um, then, then they're going to have a hard time. They might as well write, write a, a scathing, angry drama or, or, or opinion piece in which they blame people. Right. Um, uh, one of the things that I try to do is uh, when people ask me this question, I tell them about a time in which I was mugged in New York. Mm-hmm. Now, now, have you ever been mugged or attacked? No. Okay. I, you can imagine it's not fun, right? Right. You can imagine there's nothing funny about it. And yet... In talking about the fact 
that uh, that this guy uh, came into my office. Uh, I was I had a small office in a small theater on Forty Second Street, and he says, uh, "This guy, you know, this guy, Mister Plurman, sent me upstairs uh, to get a job." And um, uh, I was I, I had an office in the Harold Plurman Theater, and what you should know is that Harold Plurman was a famous author and director, and he died 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he died 40, 30 years ago before before the story takes place. Mm-hmm. So obviously this guy, uh, this street guy from 42nd Street is looking for something. And, um, and I was young and, 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 uh, and full of myself. And I said, well, Mr. Clerman isn't here. Uh, and he said, well, he told me to come up here for a job. And I said, well, Mr. Clerman, you're going to have to leave. And I said, if you don't leave, I'm going to call the police. And, and he's, I'm, I'm behind this desk, this receptionist desk, and he's in front of the desk. And there's about uh, maybe a yard and a half, two yards between us. Mm-hmm. And so like an idiot, I pick up the phone. And the next thing I know, the phone has been thrown across the room. And he says, you're going to call the police on me? And uh, I go, um, and then he hits me. And he hits me really hard. My glasses fly off. Mm-hmm. And I would have been in real trouble because I'm not a very physical guy. I, I, I haven't been in a lot of fights. And, and if I were, I probably would have lost them. But what I found interesting was that he would hit me and then he would announce something. He would go, he would go you're, you're going to call the police on me and, and hit me. You're going to call the police on me and hit me. And, and, and after, every time he would say something, I would have a chance to recover. And so... And so after he, you know, he said, you're going to call the cops on me. And I, I, I kind of, I kind of very ineffectively tried to hit him back. And then he said, oh, you're going to hit me. And I thought to myself, oh my God, I don't even get to hit the guy. <laughs> so this goes on for a little bit of time and he gets me in a headlock and he's going to, he's going to, he's trying to choke me and, and I'm, I'm, he's gets me down and I'm, I'm at crotch level. I'm looking right at his crotch and the thought crosses my mind. What would Jim Rockford do? Because I'm of the age in which I used to watch Jim, the Rockford Files. And so I said to myself, what would Jim Rockford do? And so I, I, I just, you know, I put out a little jab, you know, right in his, you know, uh-huh. groin section. And he jumps up you know, like two feet. He runs out the door. I crawl back to my desk. I'm going to, I'm getting ready to call the police when I realize I had made a terrible mistake. I forgot to lock the door. Oh. And he, I, I turn around and he's come back. He ran into the bathroom because we didn't have bathrooms in the office. We had a little bathroom in the hall. He ran into the bathroom and he comes back with a plunger. Oh. And he starts hitting me with the stick end of the plunger. And I grab a three-hole punch. And I'm here to tell you that <laughs> office supply saved my life. And I'm so I'm hitting him. I'm trying to. I'm trying to duel his plunger with a three-hole punch, and eventually he kicks the shit out of me. He leaves. But you see, I got you to laugh a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, because I made myself the butt of humor, uh-huh. and, and not not by making myself ridiculous, but by just telling the truth about what I did and what what ridiculous thoughts went through my head. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And, it, and it's the absolute. God's honest truth. Not, not one thing is made up. Yeah. That's... Now I could tell the story from the point of view of how terrified I was mm-hmm. and how for months after that, I, I couldn't walk down a street without looking over my shoulder, afraid that this guy was going to be there. Right. I could tell it that way and it would no longer be as funny. Right. Right. And it probably no. took you some time to get, to gain some perspective and see the humor in it, because I'm sure in no, in the moment me, you didn't think it, it was funny. Me, it took me about two hours. Oh, that's, that's that's what I do. I I see, you know, I see the comic element in things. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Dorothy Parker once said that that the trick or the secret of writing comedy is to have a sharp eye and a wild mind mm-hmm. to see what's really there but be able to take it to its lo- furthest logical, illogical conclusion. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, good. That brings me into my next question, because um, 
I, you know, I wonder what your thoughts are on comedy and comedians and also with mental health. And, you know, this didn't even occur to me until a couple of years ago. I started listening to this, it's a British podcast and he interviews comedians and I can't remember the name of it right now, but, um, I, I listened to it for, for a summer and one kind of consistent theme from his guests were that they all had some sort of depression or anxiety or some sort of mental health issues they were going through, and yet they were all comedians. So right. I'm just wondering if you could shed any light on that. Well, I'm sure that there are depressed depressed uh, accountants mm-hmm. and, and, and um, uh uh, you know, mentally challenged, um, actuarials or, or podiatrists. Um, but uh, was it sitcom geeks? Cause that's a, a British uh, podcast that I've listened to. Uh, it might've been, um, uh, so, so, uh, Ray Romano once said that if he had been hugged once as a kid, he'd be an accountant. Uh, and I, so I think, I think it's, it's not true that you have to be, you know, have depression or, or have great mental uh, disabilities to be able to do comedy. Mm-hmm. It is true. I mean, because I can think of a lot of very well-adjusted, on-the-surface, happy people um, who, uh, who have been very successful in comedy. Most of them are Canadians. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, think, I think it's... I think what you do need is you need to have an outsider's point of view. Mm-hmm. You can be a, a well-adjusted person, but you have to not be part of, you can't be swimming in the ocean. You've got to be somebody who is not in the same school of fish and notice how weird the ocean and that school of fish are. Mm-hmm. So, so that's why, uh, comedy has been uh, the province of outsiders, uh, minorities, Jews, Canadians, uh, people who are on the outside of the larger culture and are therefore a little bit able to notice it, notice what's weird and silly and absurd about it, mm-hmm. while still participating in it. And yes, there are a lot of a lot of comedians, too many comedians who have struggled. Um, I mean, you know, there was just, uh, just, just the other day. Um, uh, I'm, I'm looking for his name. Uh, somebody, somebody committed suicide and, um, uh, oh darn. Uh, I'm going to find it. But, I mean, we all know about Robin Williams. Right, yeah. Uh, uh, Jonathan Winters uh, famously uh, had committed himself uh, to a mental institution. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I don't think it's, it's a requirement. I think that if you have a sharp eye and a wild mind, sometimes that mind gets the better of you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes... Finding out what's absurd and comic in the world is a way of uh, – it's one way of coping mm-hmm. with, uh, with the demons inside. Uh, another way is, is self-medicating. Mm-hmm. So, so listen, there's, there's something about people who desperately need other people to, to give them uh, approval in terms of laughter. That's a very – odd thing we're we're very silly apes in that way mm-hmm. um you know that that we because if you've ever tried stand-up or gone to a stand-up show you know how how the uh the percentages are against you mm-hmm. that that even great stand-ups have terrible nights where nothing works um and and so I think that I, I think that there's a uh, oh his name is Brody Stevens by the way oh, okay popular comedian Brody Stevens found dead in his home mm-hmm. 
I think that there's a relationship, but I think I think it's the it's the relationship between anybody who has such a void in them that they need it filled by the adulation of others. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I know that there are probably lots of comics and comic writers who are uh, very happy in their own skin and, and don't require. Uh, that kind of approval, uh, but I also know a lot of people who who are are damaged, and some of those damaged people, uh, you know, may become dreading. Uh, you know, da- listen, there are a lot of damaged people as a whole, mm-hmm. and some of those damaged people become drug addicts or or alcoholics mm-hmm. or priests. Um, uh, but some damaged people take their damage. And, and share it with others in, in the form of art. Mm-hmm. And one form of art is, is the art of making people laugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the same could be true for many artists, you know, no matter, yeah. you know, hey. what, what the platform is, if it's comedy or hey, if I it's don't know writing that Van Gogh was, uh, was so funny, but, uh, but he, he had issues. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so how do you, how do you manage your, your mental health and your well-being. What do you do to stay? Because you seem like you you've got it together. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you? What is your? What is your secret? <laughs> um, I for one, I don't have it together. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, no one is more insecure and needy uh, as I am. Uh, I I will take my insecurity and my neediness up against anybody else, uh, but. Uh, I, I think um, I, I think uh, a, kind of a combination of uh, not religion but spiritualism. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I'm not an alcoholic, uh, but sometimes I wish I were <laughs> because those rooms those rooms are very are very comforting. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone once called alcoholism the sacred disease because you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of an invitation to, uh, find a form of, uh, uh, spiritualism and a form of community that, um, uh, that is apart from organized religion, but still is of the spirit. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I, there's, there's that, uh, and then there's the, just, you know, uh, what what is the lesson of Groundhog Day? Being being of service to others, mm-hmm. and so uh, that's what I try to do. I try to be of service to others while still <laughs> being able to, you know, you know, pay my mortgage and feed myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, so, so what's, what's next for you? You have, is, is well, it just the two books or do you have, you have more than more books out well, there? I, I, I might have more than two books, but right now, you know, doing, you know, doing, doing those two books were, were difficult. Uh, what, what did, uh, I forget, was it Hemingway who said, uh, that, that writing is easy. All you do is, uh, go to, you know, sit in front of a typewriter and open a vein. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, uh, I'm, I'm also doing, uh, workshops. I have a workshop. I'm, I don't know when this podcast will be out, but I have a workshop March 2nd and 3rd in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can find that out and find me at www.kaplancomedy.com. And you can, uh, email me, uh, at steve at kaplancomedy.com, or you could tweet me at at sk comedy or uh find me on facebook uh steve kaplan or uh steve kaplan's comedy intensive and then i'm i think i'm going to london we're still trying to make that happen uh i think kiev istanbul wants me to do a workshop i just came back from brussels so so that's that's what i know that's what i know but um i i do a lot of uh not only do a lot of workshops, but I also work with a lot of uh, writers and and producers working on everything from finished scripts um, to uh, to treatments and everything in between. 
it's been great talking to you, Steve. And um, I, I feel like I've, I've learned even more. So, um, so, so thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, you take care. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye.